You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Maybe you made a fresh vow to the Lord and a fresh commitment to the Lord. Lord, I want to endure. I don't want to give in to fear or feelings. I want to I want to keep going and be faithful. Knowing what was ahead, Paul would write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, give thanks in all circumstances. Wow. Really? No matter what life's throwing at you? No matter what the situation is? Have you ever been around a person whose intelligence intimidates you, makes you afraid? Many times these deep thinkers like to talk through philosophy. College campuses or even a work setting might be a place that spurs these types of conversations, making you feel inferior. Well, today, Pastor Danny helps you realize that Paul was affected by intellectuals in his time too. The message of salvation can be simple, and that's okay. Don't allow the intellectual musings distract from what really matters. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts chapter 18 as he begins his message, Above Average Christianity. chapter 18. I really wanted to go from 17 and Paul's ministry in Athens, but as I began to work on it, I just didn't have that confirmation from the Holy Spirit. And so God took me to Acts chapter 18. Now I'm going to snail my way through this to start out, but verse one, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Paul left Athens And he went to Corinth. In Athens, he debated with the most intellectual people of the world. Philosophers. Smart people. He had very little fruit in Athens. When he comes from Athens to Corinth, if you leave the text just for a minute, just keep a marker there, and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you go down to verse 20. Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The Holy Spirit is using Paul's recent experience in Athens to inspire these words. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom, intellectual, etc. But we preach Christ crucified. 
stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Now, I don't want you to miss what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 1, when I came to you, brothers, from Athens, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was an intellectual himself. But his experience in Athens, when he came to Corinth, what happened in Athens affected him greatly. Verse 3, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Wow, the apostle Paul? Yep. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom but on God's power. If you've been reading with us, when you read chapter 17 and Paul's experience in Athens, he got verbally beat up by the smartest people in the world. These characters in the Bible, these great men and women of God, they are human, just like you, just like me. I love what James 5.17 says about Elijah. He was a man just like us, great prophet, miracle worker, like the Apostle Paul, but they're human. Back in Acts 18, verse 2. When he gets to Corinth, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. I want you to understand how difficult a statement that was for Paul to make. I noted as I'm reading through the book of Acts along with you during the week, Paul, everywhere he went, if there was a Jewish synagogue, that's the first place he stopped to share Christ. As a matter of fact, if you just take a peek back to Acts chapter 17 and verse 2, here's what it tells us. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue. And you find that. Every time he 
goes to a different geographic location. If there's a Jewish synagogue, he goes to the synagogue. Why? Because he loves the people of Israel. He loves the world, yes. He loves everybody, yes. But he's a Jew. These were his people. And it was extremely difficult for him to be rejected, for the most part, by the Jews. Let me give you this scripture. Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Here's what Paul writes. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. For the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. It broke his heart for his own people, for the most part, to reject him and reject the message of Jesus Christ. He was human, just like us, just like Jesus. I noted, and we won't take time to turn to it, but in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 44, it tells us that Jesus, on his final trip into Jerusalem before the cross, he looked out over the city and he wept. And he said, if you, only you, had known the opportunity you had to find peace with God. And he wept. Because for the most part, the Jews rejected even Jesus. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Okay, chapter 18, verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue, and he went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. The next verse, so encouraging for me. I've already said, I'll say it again, Paul, he's just as human as you and me. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Pause. If God ever says to you, don't be afraid. Here's what you don't say back to God. I'm not afraid. Because God has never wasted a word. He never will waste a word. And so if he says to someone, don't be afraid, it's because they're afraid. Paul just got beat up verbally in Athens. And the person that Whenever they coined the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me. That's a lie. The power of life and death is in the tongue. I think in some ways the verbal beating that Paul got in Athens hurt worse than some of the physical beatings he endured. And he comes to Corinth in weakness, fear, and trembling. You see his humanity shine through here. And now the Lord speaks to him. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Hey, if the Lord says keep on speaking, there must be something that's encouraging you not to keep on speaking. Yeah. It's fear. 
Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you. No one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. You won't find God say that to the Apostle Paul very often, if at all. But he does here in Corinth. So I find verse 11 a bit humorous. So Paul stayed for a year and a half. <laughs> year and a half. He says, okay, nobody's going to harm me here. I think I'll just camp out here for a while. He stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Now, verse 12, when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. And this would have tested his faith in regard to what God had said. You ain't going to get beat up here in Corinth. And now it looks like he might get beat up. They brought him into court. Verse 13, this man they charged is persuading the people to worship in ways contrary to the law. And just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to the Jews, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it'd be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, you settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. And then, and this is confusing on the surface, but hang with me. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler. Wait a minute. I thought Crispus was the synagogue ruler. Well, it appears that because Crispus became a Christian, he lost his position as synagogue ruler. Sosthenes is now the new synagogue ruler. And so they turn on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and they beat him in front of the court. But Galileo, he showed no concern whatsoever. And Paul's over there going, I feel sorry for you, Sosthenes, but I'm glad it's not me. <laughs> and God kept his word. Somebody else takes a beating instead of Paul. One more interesting note. When you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and you read verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And our brother, who? Who? Sosthenes. Whoa. If it's the same Sosthenes, then he got saved too. Through Paul's life. Through Paul's ministry. Acts 18 after Sosthenes gets the beating, it says in verse 18, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. It's a haven of rest for Paul. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cancrea because of a vow he had taken. The having his hair cut off gives us a tremendous clue as to what kind of vow it was. It was a Nazarite vow. You find that vow recorded in Numbers chapter 6. It's Old Testament, and let me just share with you, it wasn't a required thing. It was a voluntary thing. Why would somebody make a Nazarite vow? It's a vow of consecration. It's a vow of commitment. 
When you'd make a Nazarite vow, you'd do it for a period of time. If you're a man, you let your hair grow during that time. And then at the end of the vow, you would have your hair cut. You would offer the hair. If you could, you would offer it at the temple to the Lord in Jerusalem at the end of your period of vow. Samson was a Nazarite from birth, and he was to have the Nazarite commitment throughout his whole life. But he was an exception. The purpose of the Nazarite vow was to express a unique consecration to God. It was not mandatory. It was voluntary. Consecration just simply means dedication. Commitment. When you make a vow, I made it a little bit long, but it's good. It's a promise. It's a pledge. It's a personal commitment. It's an earnest promise to perform a specified act or behave in a certain manner. I have a question. Why did Paul make the Nazarite vow? What was his motive? What was his purpose? It doesn't tell us in the text. But we know for at least a year and a half, probably a year and a half plus, he's had a, a haven of rest there in Corinth. He hasn't gotten beat up, hasn't been thrown in prison. But now he's leaving. And he makes a vow. And because the Bible doesn't tell us, we can speculate, as long as we're speculating within the guidelines of truth, and so I want to give you some suggestions as to why Paul made the vow. Possible reasons why he made the vow. Maybe he said, Lord, I'm committing that I'm never going to be ashamed of the simplicity of the gospel message. He had come from Athens. He got verbally beat up. He was shaken. He comes to Corinth. He's in fear and trembling because he got verbally beat up by the smartest people in the world. And that didn't feel good. He didn't like it. Nobody would. But he writes in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God under salvation. In Acts 26, he'll stand before kings, governors. Governor Festus, recorded in Acts 26, will say to Paul, as he stops him in the middle of his defense, as he stands before the court, and he will say, you, you're, you're nuts. You're insane. And that's the way people viewed him, people of the world. And Paul knew as he's going back out, leaving the haven of rest there in Corinth, there's going to be some tough times ahead. And maybe his vow is, I am going to continue to share the gospel no matter what people think, no matter what people say, whether they respond positively, negatively, I'm going to keep it simple and I'm going to keep sharing it. No matter what. Maybe the motivation for his vow was to endure future suffering because that haven of rest in Corinth, that was not typical for the Apostle Paul. And knowing now that he's leaving that haven of rest now, maybe it's the fresh commitment. Lord, help me to endure and help me not to give in to fear. Not to pull back. Take a look real quick. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. 
Paul writes here, now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Next chapter, God sends a prophet to confirm those warnings that the Holy Spirit was giving Paul. That hardships and suffering were ahead. Maybe he made a fresh vow to the Lord and a fresh commitment to the Lord. Lord, I want to endure. I don't want to give in to fear or feelings. I want to, I want to keep going and be faithful. Knowing what was ahead, Paul would write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, give thanks in all circumstances. Wow. Really? No matter what life's throwing at you? No matter what the situation is? Be thankful by faith. Maybe the motivation, maybe the motivation was to remain pure, especially sexually. Paul came from Corinth, and Corinth, while he did have a haven of rest and didn't get beat up during his whole stay there, if you know anything about Corinth, it was a godless place. And sexual immorality was rampant. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 about the sexual immorality that was there in Corinth, encouraging believers there now that had come out of that kind of culture and out of that kind of environment and out of that kind of lifestyle to now offer their bodies because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And maybe Paul was making a fresh commitment to the Lord to remain pure sexually. Well, we could come up with lots of ideas, but I'm going to give you my last one. And it just kind of pulls it all together uh, about any other motive behind Paul's vow to the Lord. Maybe he just didn't want to be an average Christian. What is an average Christian? I don't know. In my experience as a pastor, you got a lot of people just attend church, but they don't really serve anywhere. They don't have a real deep relationship with the Lord. They don't have a regular time alone with the Lord on a daily basis. Christian men who aren't spiritual leaders in their homes. Single moms who aren't really spiritual leaders with their children. I mean, I don't know, but you know if you're just average, you know. I mean, you know. Maybe you're below average. The Apostle Paul, when you read about his life as Saul of Tarsus, you realize his life in Judaism, he would write in Galatians chapter 1 and say, I was, I was excelling beyond my own peers. And he gave himself 110% in his commitment to Judaism. He was a Pharisee. You talk about commitment. And once he now went from that pharisaical religious life to actually coming into a living relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ, he's not going to take Christianity any less fervently than he did in his life of Judaism. He didn't want to be just average. 
He just didn't want to, you know, get to heaven and, and just make it there. He wanted when he sees Jesus one day to, to see him and to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. In this series called New Testament Highlights, Pastor Danny has been unpacking how time and time again, the truth of God's Word shines brightly into a dark world. The New Testament highlights that Jesus' life and ministry was a shining light into the Roman-oppressed nation of Israel. In addition, the bright testimony of the apostles amidst opposition proved that there are always opportunities to be light in a dark world. Are you sinking into despair about the heaviness that surrounds you with the events and circumstances that seem to get worse? You might wonder if there's any end in sight. Well, keep your chin up and keep your eyes fixed on the promises of God. He'll never leave you, and that can be a shining beacon of hope. We trust that this teaching has given you a renewed sense of what to live for and what's to come, as you're reminded of other people who are great examples of living out their faith. If you'd like to hear this message again, you'll find it at ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. You can also connect with us through social media. Look for links to Facebook, Instagram, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'll be able to stay up to date on the latest things happening and know when new videos are uploaded. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Living Word.